0: Famous buddy Christian Berg, editor of Peterson's Bow Hunting, with me. How are you,
1: dude? Uh, just really great, man. Really great. Now that you told everyone I was famous, I hope I can get a free cup of coffee or something out of it.
0: Yeah, you will. You will. Next ATA, you're going to have so many people buying you coffee. It's going to be ridiculous. Um, the popularity of this podcast is almost Kardashian like.
1: That's what I like, man. You and you and Chris tearing it up.
0: Yeah, obviously, and I'm Kate,
1: playing. Caitlin.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. Well, we already ruined this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, Damn. let's give them something they can use then.
1: Damn it! Let's this... talk archery. How about that? Here,
0: okay. Before we – I gotta just. I got to get this out of the way, so I don't know what it is with us, but every time we've tried to podcast, there's been some kind of a a weird voodoo happen. The last time, we were right in the middle of a good subject, and you got, you were actually driving to a baseball game. We had 45 minutes we could do a podcast, and then as you're talking, you were like totally into it, and you get pulled over <laughs> for speeding. <laughs>
1: I got a speeding ticket on my way to the baseball game while we were doing the podcast. It was not good. Yeah, that wasn't good. It was as... not good. You, By the way, you owe me like $183. Okay. I didn't invoice you yet for that. Okay. So look, well, keep your eye out.
0: Okay. And then now... <laughs> Now there's, like, literally lightning crashing down out my window. The whole room's, like, lighting up. There's thunder rolling. So I'm just waiting for this, to, like, power to go out. And yeah. well, and once again, us end up getting, uh, getting hexed. But anyway.
1: Well, you're uh, not going to be um, able to blame me today because it's a beautiful day in Pennsylvania, and the sun's shining, and uh, I'm ready to rock.
0: Well, just so everyone out there knows, Christian... Uh, waited a long time to draw a deer tag and he was he had one of the coolest hunts I think coolest whitetail hunts for sure of the knock on season six which I'm excited to say will be um, launching on the web starting this Friday and um, so I guess 10 weeks from now Christian's episode will be live for all of you but uh, give us a little rundown of that man I know you were super jacked And obviously that's going to be a segue into And a very important uh, bit of tuning and, and shooting technique um, topics That we need to get on here in a little bit Because obviously that was an unbelievable buck A perfect shot And all with the Carter Evolution too
1: yeah, the evolution has uh, done good for me once again, and I also like to think that when we can get them inside of uh, 10 yards or so, that I'm pretty pretty dead nuts on those. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: I don't know. I've seen a lot of chokes at 10 yards.
1: Well, yeah, it's hard. Oh, the bottom line, John, and, you know, I know you want to get into this, it's a lot harder to choke with the evolution. It just is. I mean... You know, I I don't know how quick you want to dive into it, you know, the whole background I had with target panic and everything, but I mean... Dive in? Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, just to kind of, as an opening, just going on that hunt, I mean, yeah, when you have, you know, when you have some bad habits that you're fighting, or you have some bad mental anxiety that you're fighting, which is really what target panic is all about, uh, absolutely, you can miss a deer at 10 yards, and you can miss a block target at 10 yards, I mean, I can remember... At my very worst, with the target panic, it was absolutely excruciating because you could put a block target in the grass twenty yards in front of me, and I couldn't hit the damn thing, and you know it's not like it's breathing and walking it's not going anywhere, you know um but you can't do that with the evolution because all the you know you can kind of guide us through this conversation, but as you know, I mean with that release all the conscious thought that you would put into firing that arrow with a you know any kind of release that has a trigger is is eliminated and so all you have to do is just focus on putting the pin where it needs to go and everything else takes care of itself so that's the beauty of it that's the magic of of that release for me
0: <clears throat> yeah how long ago i'm trying to remember because um in the past, I've well, actually in the last podcast I did earlier, I didn't really mention, I talk about Harry and Sharon because they both shoot evolutions, but I can normally kind of keep it formal and say students, but um, how long ago did we start working on your target panic? I can't really remember.
1: Was it-, it was two years ago. It was two years ago. So this past fall was like my second full hunting season of of hunting with it. And how many and so, animal,
0: how many how many animals have you shot with with the evolution what, as your hunting release?
1: Uh, at least seven or eight, and I can tell you that there's not a single thing that I've ever shot at with the evolution that I haven't killed. I've never missed or made a bad shot in the field with that release. And just so you remember, what was the what's the green uh, true tent? Back tension release that, or the the hinge style release that you sent me first. Um, That was that was the one that was good for training, but I I didn't work for me too well in the field. You sent me a few. You had Carter sent me a couple different hinge style releases first, and that kind of got me started with the whole back tension training in the yard. And then the first time I ever tried to switch to a tension release for hunting was when I took one of those hinge style releases out to Wyoming and I did miss a buck out there with that but that was because I struggled to get that thing to fire like I always had to hold it full draw a long time before that thing would go for me and I my, I just got tired I literally got tired and ended up like shooting, shooting over the things back but uh, that's when you told me you were like, oh, yeah, you really ought to switch to the evolution. And then you sent me one of those, and then that has proven to be the perfect solution for hunting and for just maintaining good form and habits throughout the practice season as well.
0: Yeah, So, um, and actually on the podcast earlier today, I talked a lot about um, hinge versus the evolution and the differences. And really with the hinge release, You have to manipulate the release. You have to rotate it properly. And a lot of people, since it doesn't truly have a safety, a lot of people are a little bit scared to draw it back. So they kind of set it so that it's not really hot, so to speak, so that it fires fairly quick. A lot of people will set it so it's kind of safer to draw um, or safer within their, their own comfort level, safer to draw. But then, like you said, when you get tension and you're having to be, you know, when you're you're tight and you're having to manipulate that release and almost loosen up some so that you can rotate it, a lot of times that shot ends up uh, slowing down. And the other thing too is because you can manipulate with your hand during practice, I believe you don't truly learn the importance of like your front shoulder setup and things like that. So you know, when you were early when you were early in learning the evolution, you learn that sometimes you pull back and shots are just taking much, much longer and you feel like you're pulling super hard. But then I was able to talk with you about that front shoulder compression. And you know now that when that front shoulder down and forward and it's in the correct position, you have the ability to pull through that shot. But if you're tight and your whole upper body is compressed and tight together, you, you feel like you're pulling through. Through the cam, but you're really not. You and a lot of people, they're they're actually so tight in their body, and I see this a lot with um, hinge releases. If you watch their arrow on the rest, their arrows actually creeping. They're creeping forward, even though you can see them shaking because they're in a way they're pulling, but they're not pulling with the correct muscles, and they're actually collapsing as they're trying to to pull, which is you know it seems counteractive, but it, it's very common that that happens. And, um, you know, I told you, I said, man, you're, well, see, you were at the point, unfortunately for you, you were at the point where you had pretty much given up and you're just like, I don't care. Like, just tell me what to do at this point. Just, I'm going to do anything. I want to just get rid of this. And I just said, listen, you're, if you learn with this, I want you to not be afraid of it. Even when you go on a hunt and, you know, kudos to you man you you haven't been and you're no different than sharon and harry and you've you've seen them shoot um they just stand places and shoot and shoot against people or shoot it shoot at animals and they're like they're totally stress free their their mind is never even it's never even entered into their mind about anticipating a shot so mm-hmm. um you know it's it's an awesome success story especially i remember after the first animal you shot with it you made a really good shot too and um you called me about that i thought it was a deer. was it a deer in south dakota i can't really yeah
1: yeah i killed I, i think i i shot two deer i shot a buck and a doe on that trip so yeah that was that was what really like well you know what it's like i mean When you're struggling, you know, it's funny. You talked about, like, getting to that point of giving up, and that's kind of like, you know, not to be a dork or anything, but it it is. It's like a whole analogy with any, like, 12-step program, isn't it? Where, you know, like, if you have a drinking problem, you know, the first step to getting sober is for admitting, you know, that you're out of control and and you can't do it all on your own. And target panic is kind of the same thing, right? Because you, you get it, and, you know, some people do a better job of managing it than others. And for me, you know, I managed it, you know, adequately for a number of years, but it just progressively got worse and worse to the point where I realized, you know, it's not a matter of treating the symptoms. I got to cure the disease. And so once you decide that you're going to stop treating the symptoms and you're going to cure the disease, that's kind of like when you get on the road to recovery. So, um, you know, for me, it was always, um, you know, and I know we think a little differently about this, John. I know when you write about it, you write a little differently than I do. For me, I know that my sort of what got me off track with my shooting was the way that I thought about aiming and kind of like, instead of concentrating on just kind of letting the pen float and be where you want it to be and understanding that it's always going to move a little bit and I always wanted to just anticipate that moment, you know, of that moment when the pin gets by there and then that's when you're going to command that shot consciously. And so, you know, you start to do that and then you develop more and more anxiety about the fact that the pin never holds still exactly where you want it. And so you're always getting so eager to want to hammer that, that trigger (laughs) that instant that that pin, you know, hits the spot and then, You know when it doesn't, then you start like lifting and punching at the same time, and that's where you start shooting arrows clean over the target and into the woods behind your house. You know, and you're like, "Uh oh, I think I may have a situation on my hands here." Uh, And that is no way to be. For I guarantee you, somebody is listening. You know, who's going through the same thing, and that guy's getting ready for an elk hunt in September. And let me tell you, I've been there, buddy. That's not where you want to be when you're (laughs) getting ready for this hunt that you've been looking forward to all summer um you know so so again the evolution which just has a has a safety you know i i guess you had explained this in the last podcast or whatever so hopefully people understand what you know how the release works but basically the the jaw or the the hook on that release you snap it shut and the only way that it can release is by applying a certain amount of pressure onto it and so You kind of just use the adjustment spring to get it set to maybe be, you know, like four or five pounds over the holding weight of your bow at full draw once you're into your your valley and you're at anchor. So it's got a little safety on there, so you just clip onto your knocking loop, and you hold the safety down while you draw, because if you didn't do that, it would release like six inches into your draw and I did that once too, believe it or not, uh, (laughs) when I was learning how to use release, most people probably do. So anyway, you hold the safety down and you come to full draw, and then once you're anchored, then you can let the safety off. And at that point, you know, you've got, like I shoot 60 pounds, I'm probably holding like 12 pounds or so generally, give or take, you know, at full draw. So maybe at 15 or 16 pounds of pressure, as I just gradually increase my back tension, whenever I hit that point and you don't know exactly when it's going to be from shot to shot, you know, um, that then allows the, the hook to go uh, free and, and your shot executes. So uh, once you're anchored and you're aiming, then you just increase your tension and let it go. And so instead of all that anxiety that I had in the past about, you know, just when is the pin going to be where I want it to go now, I just, look at the pin only and I don't have to think about letting the arrow go and it's like that change in my thought process instead of thinking about shooting in my mind that's how I describe it I used to think about shooting and now I think about aiming and by just thinking about aiming and not worrying about shooting I'm able to shoot so much better
0: yeah that's a good that's a good way to put it I I mean I like to focus more on on pulling through and I like to focus more on Executing with with rhythm and with timing more so than than I guess um, aiming. You know, some people over aim. I feel like so. I kind of watch myself on that particular term just for that reason. But um, yeah, that's a really really good way to describe it. And I know that um, I know specifically for you, you're like the model the model student for this. And what's What's so rewarding too is, and what's so, I think what's really cool for the people that are listening is the fact that you're the editor of Peterson's Bowhunting and you're fighting the same types of problems that anybody else would. And in my opinion, you know, I'm so thankful that because you and I were introduced to one another from Ulmer um, years ago when, when you were kind of, I think you had contemplated finding a slightly different, um, type of, uh, I guess category for articles. And I think Randy was the one that, um, kind of steered you towards me. And I just, it's been fun because we've become good friends. And then also we're able to, to have these natural subjects that just happen to shooters who are who are truly doing the sport. These types of subjects happen, and you learn to live through them, um, kind of together with your buddies, and then it gives you really good subjects for the magazine to write on because they're real life situations and they're things that I think the readers are really appreciating being in the magazine because they're relating to it so much
1: Mm-hmm. oh yeah i mean you know people are not all that different from one another you know despite what the you'd hear here during election season, you know, we're all, we're all kind of, we're all kind of the same at heart. And it doesn't, it doesn't matter, you know, what you do for a living. I mean, the stupid thing about this is that I never had target panic and may never have in my life. Had I not gotten this job? I mean, for me, it was like after I got this job and the more I shot, and the more, you know, big shots that I shot with, like John Dudley, you know, I think I started to develop, you know, the pressure and the anxiety of, you know, what I was supposed to be able to do or the expectations maybe that I put on myself that were maybe unreasonable or whatever. And, you know, that's kind of where my psychoses came from. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it, and the crazy thing is, too, um, you know you talk to people in the industry most of the biggest names that you'd hear if those guys are honest you know they've struggled with it too and of course i'm not going to mention any names but i was at i was at an event with some pretty high-profile people in the industry just not too long ago, and there was a a gentleman who owns uh, a major company in the archery world, and he's struggling with it bad right now, and I was sharing a little bit about my own journey, and I mentioned the evolution to that guy, and, um, you know, it's kind of like evangelism, man. There's a lot of people out there who need to hear the message.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's well, and it's it's actually sad that um everyone falls into the the same pitfalls of archery and a lot of it comes down to unfortunately a lot of it I believe comes down to people that that give advice that don't necessarily know maybe the the full details of why things are happening to some people and that sometimes gets a little bit tough for me. I hear people give advice or, you know, I've, I've actually listened to some podcasts where people give advice on target panic and things. And, you know, what's tough about it is I know deep down that everybody learns slightly different. Like some people need to hear it one way to truly learn. Um, so even though technically I don't think they're given a hundred percent the correct information, there's some people that just relate to how, I speak about something Versus maybe how you speak about something So in some ways I think it's It's good because there may be Some people that That need to hear it A certain way But the other thing that kind of stinks I think sometimes is the fact that Some of the information that's Going out there right now Isn't 100% Accurate but You know I think the getting the message out there about overall about target panic and the fact that it is something that people can fix, I think is super, super important really for anybody. So I'm glad you know I'm glad it worked out for you. But um I know as a as a teacher, uh technically a teacher I guess with you, it was super rewarding for you to finally draw a tag for Iowa after five years, and then you know you you talked me into um, giving you a week. Well, you you pretty much said, "Dude, I'm coming to Iowa. Like I have an open book to come to Iowa. I've been waiting so long for okay. this tag." So, I told you
1: when I was coming, but I didn't tell you when I was leaving. I told you I was leaving when I filled a tag. Yeah, well, so but, I could I could I could still be there right now. I could have lived in your basement for like six months if we hadn't have worked out. Well,
0: and I said, you know what? I'll take time off my personal hunting time to take you. And well, I made sure I was ready, as you can tell from your hunt. I wasn't really wanting to be out of my own um, my own stand for too long i guess um,
1: (laughs) yeah you're like you must have been thinking geez i hope this guy can shoot because i'm taking him right to the best spot on the farm yeah
0: yeah no doubt i'm like okay well he's already said he's not leaving until he's till he's tagged out so i've got to make something happen here
1: well here's actually the funny thing i'll tell this i'll tell the story right so so i think it was a monday and I was driving in, right, we were going to start hunting that day, so I called you from the road, it was like a two-day drive from from home here in Pennsylvania, so I told Dudley, I'm like, well, I'm going to be, I'm going to be getting into your area, like, around three o'clock, and he's like, do you have all your stuff, like, is your bow, like, is it buried in the trunk, or, like, you know, I'm like, no, I'm like, I, I can get it pretty easy, he's like, well, as soon as you get here, like, just grab your bow and throw on some camo, and we're gonna go to like this this little observation stand not too far from the barn. And so so that's what we did. So I got in that day, and uh, John was like, you know like the first couple of days we're not gonna like go into any of the core areas you know we're just gonna we're just gonna sort of stay around the edges and see what's going on and he was building up this whole story on how we were going to ease into this hunt and um i mean i guess honestly that afternoon that's what we did we got into your your uh golf cart or whatever you got there and Drove over to this little food plot and got in this stand. And here I'm coming from Pennsylvania, and I'm I'm thrilled. Like if I hunt the whole six week season, if I see it like two or three shooters the whole season, it's a good year. And we're in the stand like 15 minutes, and I'm looking out in this food plot in front of us, and behind us we're in just a little tree line. There's a big CRP field behind us. I turn around. And there's a big buck standing out there in the field. I'm like, John, there's a good buck. John gets his glasses up, and he's looking through his binos. He's like, yeah, that's a nice buck. And then he, like, pans over in the CRP field a little more. He's like, wait, there's an even bigger buck. So, like, the first buck was probably, like, 140. Then there was probably, like, a mid-150s buck in there with a hot doe. And then I think a couple other bucks showed up. And we must have seen, what, four bucks over 140 in that, like, two hours that we were in the tree before sunset that first afternoon right
0: keep in mind the part the the most important part you're leaving out is the fact the that the, the first hot dough in like central iowa happened to be in the middle of that crp field so you know you make sure we say why it was so good because i had sat that tree plenty of times before that and did not have that happen so i was thinking, well it was okay, probably but, like
1: I think it was November 5th or something like yep. that, right? and I
0: did tell you that that was the day because I remember when you said, well, I might not come in till the afternoon. Uh, to, to be honest, um, I've had really good luck on Nof- November 5th, and moon phase-wise, I really liked that evening um, because of where the moon was at. So that's why I was so excited to get there, and sure enough, um, obviously we had a ridiculously awesome hunt and if you're hosting someone on a hunt at that point i was a little bit nervous on like where we were going to go from there too i was just happy to know that there was a hot doe now in our area and well certainly that made that made the decision for the morning much easier for me too
1: yeah but that was a crazy start because i'm like thinking geez, i've been here like Fifteen minutes, and I got <laughs> giant bucks all over the place. They're like behind every tree, and, and we didn't have anything in range that night. They were all like, well, about one hundred and fifty yards away. It wasn't like I never had to like get nervous or anything. There wasn't even like an almost shot, but I mean, they were right there. At the I mean, you know, that's bow hunting—so close but so far away. But yeah, I mean, it was it was kooky. So so anyway, the next morning we get up and you know here john's telling me oh we're not going like right into the middle of everything and then what does john do is he takes me out and we go you know right into the middle of like (laughs) deer central like barge right through like every food plot and deep into this like middle of this section of timber down along a creek bottom on his property and there's like 800 deer trails all converging at the base of this tree (laughs) that we go up into and uh so I guess you kind of decided to switch things up uh, in your plan based on what we saw that first afternoon.
0: Like we had talked about that spot where we went for the observation, it was on a it was on a perimeter. So it was it was on an outside corner really of this farm that we were hunting. So once we saw that much activity down in that CRP area, we really had to make a decision to relocate to you know as close to that particular area where we knew there was a hot doe and buck because obviously if there's crp if there's timber around crp the deer are going to continually be chasing that doe you know through that cover a lot of times the does really like to to avoid the bucks in those real thick areas and stuff and you know travel you know travel along some of those more common ridges or in that particular case i was really hoping that as that doe had worked all around that that crp in that timber area that we'd also be able to pick up some bucks that might have been cruising those older trails so i kind of wanted to get where i was close to that area and had the highest number of trails that intersected so Unfortunately, you know, it was it was kind of one of those risky moves, but I did tell you in the morning, you know, hey, we're we're going we're going into a zone and we're not going to be we're not going to be coming out for sure until dark. Like this is a this is an all-day operation and I guess I'll let you pick up from there, but yeah, that was that was my my thinking
1: behind the whole thing. Yeah, and that kind of made me think like, how many sandwiches did we pack? I know how many I did pack. You, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Cause you told me, because I remember you told me we were going to be in there all day, and then I think I had to scramble and, and make a couple extra sandwiches. And I was like, okay, now I'm ready. So, so yeah, so we got in there. Like I, like I had said, you know, it was down there along a the creek bottom. And, and I do have to... Um, You know, I was just telling a buddy of mine here in Pennsylvania yesterday, because you had that path. We walked, you know, not super far, but we walked a little bit to that stand, and you had that path super nice. You had mowed down and raked through the woods, and it was all nice and quiet, and I was just telling my buddy yesterday about how I'm going to do that on the farm where I hunt here at home, because that was awesome, by the way, to get in there without making a racket.
0: Yeah, that's... um... Um, that's a little strategy I call rake it and they'll take it. Yeah, that's uh, that's kind of a... It takes a lot of work, but normally what I do is um, about two weeks... Well, as soon as the leaves fall, which a lot of times here it's a, kind of about a week before the real good rutting activity gets going. As soon as the leaves really fall and the trees let go, um, I go ahead and go out and, and what I'll do is I'll try to go to each one of my, my stands that I'm predicting to hunt during the rut on, on each of those days for those few weeks leading up to the rut. I'll go to those stands one time and I take, I actually have this little rake that I bought, um, at true value. And it's like a kid's rake. It was like 10 bucks, but it's, it's only about, you know, two feet wide it's a small kids rake plastic one and i actually just carry it in on my backpack and then i hunt that evening and then when i go to to get out either that evening or the morning i'll literally rake my way all the way out of that particular location so once it comes time for hunting really any of our stands um you know even that one that when we went to that observation stand you know the bulk of the leaves are going to be raked away. And the deer, the deer really like to have quiet walking as well. So, a lot of times the mature deer when the timber's really loud with um with leaves like that, the mature deer will actually take those same paths a lot of time just for stealth. So it's it's a lot of work, but it it certainly works and especially like on a morning like we had there um you know that particular morning it was dead quiet going in and if if we wouldn't have had that especially for where we went to um we would have probably risked blowing some deer out rather than just having very minimal noise where if the if if deer did hear us travel they'd probably be thinking that we were more like you know a natural animal rather than uh you know stomping breaking leaves and everything else that mature animals aren't going to be doing
1: Mm-hmm. so yeah so anyway so we got in there and uh sun came up and uh that's the cool thing about going and hunting with other people too because i didn't really know where we were of course john knew but that's when when you're a traveling bow hunter that's when you get to see the world for the first time when the sun comes up so we were in an awesome little spot down there we had uh, sort of a food plot, not too far uh, on one side of us, and on the other side of the woodlot was that c r p field where we had seen all the bucks the night before, and then behind us was like a little creek, and then uh, on the other side of the creek, it went up a hill and I'm kind of assuming that up there on the top of the hill over there there's probably some more crop fields or whatever out that way, so um yeah i mean it wasn't too long after sunrise there was a few does that moved sort of uh on the other side of the creek and then i don't know we weren't up there more than a half hour or so after sunup and we probably had the first uh we had a another hot doe and there was what two young bucks like chasing her, herd and they came down the hill on the other side of the creek across the creek and like right past our tree right yep Yep,
0: and kind of in a spot where it would have been a little bit tricky to, to film and get a shot. So it was kind of, it was actually a good little warm-up for us to kind of get our communication together. And then,
1: you know, it wasn't, what, 10, maybe 10 minutes after they went through and another deer started coming down the hill on the other side of the creek and you looked. And, oh, so, quick, I forgot to mention this, when I was driving out, to your place. You sent me a whole gallery of trail cam photos to my phone. And so I'm driving down the interstate and I'm scrolling through all these bucks and I'm like, oh, that's a nice one. This is a nice one. Oh, there's another nice one. Man, this is one that I'd really like to kill. I think I was texting back and forth with you or whatever. And I probably like sent you back one of the pictures and I was like, this is the buck that I'm after or whatever. And so you're looking at this deer coming down the hill and you're like i can't believe it it's that buck that you said you wanted to kill
0: <laughs> yeah because i i literally had one picture of that buck the entire summer i, I had one picture that maybe two pictures of that buck the whole time and i had certainly never seen him other than that but yeah you had you had kind of said dude i really really like this one and Obviously, if you're having someone come hunting and you're someone that spends a lot of time putting cameras out, you know that as much as you want to say, okay, yeah, that's the one we're going to see, the likelihood is very minimal. I mean, it's pretty rare that I actually see the deer that I really want to shoot multiple times throughout the year. It's usually a one-shot thing. It's like a one-opportunity thing. So... I was, um, you definitely had the look of the Irish. You had some kind of leprechaun, oh. leprechaun pot of gold up your butt. Okay. Well, funny enough, lightning just hit and <laughs> everything powered off. So we're jumping back in. Um, but no, I just said that you had the luck of the Irish or something with you because you, it was literally like a pot of gold because next thing you know, here's, literally the buck that you were hoping to shoot, here he comes just coming, I mean, right down the trail. I mean, you couldn't, oh, absolutely. Ask, you, you couldn't ask for a better opportunity.
1: Well, and like, you know, like I said, you know, we we're wanting to get the whole thing for knock on, and you couldn't have planned it any better if you had him on a leash because he came across the creek and he hit the, the licking branch and he worked the scrape and then he even took a left-hand turn and came on the trail that was going to take him like literally right in front of my stand instead of going where those other two bucks had gone which would be like you said a little bit more of an awkward angle for me and then the other thing that cracked me up and when you watch the episode for anyone who hasn't seen it yet make sure you check it because john was like I didn't say anything. I was a little insulted because John was, like, coaching me like I had never hunted before. He was telling me, like, when to grab my bow and when to draw and everything. He's like, you got to be ready to kill this deer. And I'm thinking, dude, it's like a 165-inch deer coming right towards me. I think I know I need to be ready. (laughs) (laughs) I'm ready. I got it.
0: (laughs) I don't know. I've hunted with people where they're in that moment, and they're just sitting there, like, watching. And the next thing you know, the deer goes by, and they're like, I'm like then it's too late so yeah I wanted to I wanted to make sure I was I was uh, covering my grounds and
1: so so John's (laughs) whispering the instructions to me but I had my plan because he was like he's like draw now draw now he kept telling me to draw and I was like I'm thinking, no, because this deer's coming right down the trail, and there was a tree in front of our tree, and I was like, as soon as his head goes behind that tree, that's what I'm going to draw, and that's what I did, and then I didn't realize John was running out of room for the camera. He was, like, swiveling his camera arm around the back side of the tree, and he said, like, if that deer would have taken a couple more steps, it actually would have walked out of his frame, and that was right when it got into the spot where I wanted to shoot it, and I gave it a little bleat and stopped him right there, and he was, like, perfectly centered in the frame, and I made my shot, and like you said, it was a perfect shot, and then, again, you just couldn't have lucked out anymore because instead of running, like, further down the trail that he was on, the direction that he was facing, which he would have run right out of your camera, the deer took another left-hand turn and, like, circled back so you could get the whole thing, I mean... You really ought to take me hunting more often, buddy, because you did not have... You did not have a better scenario, I'm going to bet, play out any more picture-perfect than that the whole season. Well,
0: no. I know. Probably not. I mean, I'm sure you had
1: some good ones, but... but that, as far fu- as
0: like <coughs> That footage was you know. solid, no doubt. No doubt. That footage so, was super
1: solid. So, yeah. I mean, 11 yards... He he you know, he got raged through the heart and you know, Dr. Berg saw that hit and, and I gave him my prognosis. I said it, I said, I got some bad news. I said it doesn't look good. You know, you're <laughs> bleeding out fast and, and I don't think you're gonna make it. And sure enough, he didn't really make it very far.
0: No, it was it was a done deal. And yeah, it was uh it was super awesome. One because um obviously a big struggle for so many whitetail hunters across the states over the past several years has been ehd and you know it's just been it's just been a a big bummer for so many people and you know people that are that are trying to trying their best to to really shoot mature animals it it's really really detrimental and um you know, you look at you look at the people that are out west, and they're really into, um, you know, maybe they're really into to elk and and that sort of thing. If if EHD were hitting elk, you know, it would be equivalent to the people out there that are seeing these herd bulls that are um, that they're seeing in these areas for years and years and years, and then all of a sudden, like the year they're a four hundred inch bull. Like 80% of the 400 inch bulls in the whole state or whole area, like every bull that would be, you know, a satellite bull or bigger, you'd just start finding dead and water holes. And um, it's just the worst feeling ever. And you actually drew your tag the, the year that EHD hit Iowa the hardest. And you called me all excited, and I just said, "Man, if there's any way that I know it's gonna suck for for you to hear me say wait," um, which you took it really good because you said, "Listen, I've waited this long. I want it. I don't want it to not be a good hunt." But.
1: Yeah. yeah, I didn't. I didn't draw though. I just put in for another point. I didn't. I just didn't. I just didn't go in the lottery for another year. Yeah,
0: you just you knew that if you did put in, you were gonna draw because you had the pretty much the maximum points at that right. particular time. So I just told you, I'm like, it's. I know you're not gonna want to hear this, but if you could, if you could just wait, you're gonna be pleasantly surprised at uh, how much better the hunting is gonna be. And I said it might not be next year; it might be the year after. Did we wait
1: two years? I don't remember. I don't, I don't remember. I don't, but I just came. I just came when whenever you said to come. Yeah. You know and yeah. that that worked out pretty well. So that's going to be my my modus operandi from now on. Is when Dudley says like come here, go there, hunt this, hunt that. I think I'm just <laughs> going to do that because that's a good track record. Um. I'll tell you the thing is, so you know, so in hindsight, I mean obviously you know an absolutely beautiful buck and uh an awesome hunt I mean the only down downside of that whole thing was that I waited so long and then I only hunted like four hours. I waited like five years to come do that hunt, and I only now I realize you can't complain because you could have hunted for 40 days, right? And, and never seen a shooter. So you'll take it. But like even coming home, you know, and like all my buddies here, you know, obviously I've showed the rack to everybody and they're like, it's awesome. And I've told like all my Pennsylvania hunter buddies, cause we hunt so hard here and there's not many deer like that here. And I'm like, I'm, I gotta be honest with you, dude. Like it was awesome, but I wish I could tell you that, like, you know, I went out to Iowa, and I worked so hard, and I had my strategy dialed into a T and, like, I just showed all my whitetail hunting skills, and I managed to out. I'm like, dude, honestly, I climbed in a tree, and I, like, shot the thing. And, like, I didn't really do anything to prove that I was the greatest deer hunter in the world. I was in the right place at the right time. And it was as simple as that. Now, you get some credit. You had it dialed in. But, like... I wish well, it would have lasted a little longer.
0: <laughs> well, you could have if you would have been hunting with me for the next like 12 days after you left, there was a lot of uh there was a lot of carrying out uh pee bags and empty sandwich bags and uh just a lot of shivering toes and rock hard hand warmers because uh you know that was like the apex. That was awesome. And then it it just went quiet. You know, it went a lot of times. See, what I liked about that particular week, the you know, the moon phase was really good. And you know, it's kind of cool we're talking about this because I'm actually going to be writing your article tonight and tomorrow morning um, for a fall issue of the Peterson's Bowhunting Magazine about the moon phase because last year I did one specific to moon phase predictions, and I think it went over really, really good. And, you know, I think that depending on how the moon, that first full moon comes into the rut, um, it also has a lot of factors on maybe predicting some of those slowdown times where, you know, you have kind of a, more of a lockdown. And sometimes the movement, if you don't know the right times to be out during the day, can be a little bit frustrating. And, you know, that that's kind of what happened after you left. I knew last year that the end of October and the first few days of November were gonna be dynamite and then it might slow down some till later in the season, which is pretty much what happened. Um, you know, I hunted really hard and didn't have any luck then um fortunately Mike Looper from Hoyt, he he drew as well and uh he came in and we spent I forget what it was, but I think we spot we spent 36 to 38 hours in a stand without a break um you know well three days around the clock before uh, we finally had a buck come in we actually rattled that buck in and and got that buck but you know that was it was just totally different hunting than what you had experienced you know that first doe came in the woods were alive everything was happening it was like whitetail hunting as you would read about and want something you'd see on a a video um but then it kind of went into reality of you know you might hear a fight or you might see a buck go by and you can't get his attention or something goes by on a doe 100 mile an hour and you can't there's nothing you can do to get him to stop and and all that stuff but um was there anything you know it's nice when we're doing a podcast like this to kind of talk a little bit about strategy and so forth. Was there we and we have talked about a few little things, but is there anything else in particular that stuck out that you think would be worth talking about when it comes to to strategy or something like that? Um, just to kind of get on the last subject here for the podcast from that hunt, yeah, maybe. I guess it's uh, it's up to you. You were you were the one that was there. I don't you know, a lot of the things that I do I kind of take for granted to be honest with you because um it's just part of the preparation of what I do. You know, certain certain types of strategies or even the small things like you said about, you know, raking the trails and things like that. That's just stuff that I that I do without really ever even thinking about it just because I've always done it. So I didn't know if there was anything in particular that you had saw that
1: might be... Well, I mean, yeah, I think that for that hunt, you know, it's really about the preparation that you did because there was nothing magical that we did, you know, in the tree at all, right? I mean, we never even called. We didn't rattle. I don't think we... I don't think you... There was no time. I don't think you ever... Yeah, you didn't. I mean, you didn't even rattle that morning because the sun came up, and we saw deer pretty quick, and we had action. You know, so, you know, it's not like we were calling or rattling. We didn't put a decoy out or anything like that. I think it really boils down to, um, you know, you had done your homework uh, in the preseason, and you had, you know, you'd run your trail cameras, you'd run your minerals, uh, you had your food pots in, You knew, uh, you know, the movement patterns of the deer. You had done your observation. You know, we saw that capitalizing. You know, that's something that we we write about a lot. And sometimes maybe people are too timid. And that was probably the big strategy or the big decision. You know, hunting is all about you make decisions. You know, every day when we're on hunts, we decide, you know, uh, what stand are we going to go sit in? uh... are we gonna sit all day or are we gonna come out for lunch um, you know are you gonna call uh, there's a million little decisions and and any one of those could dramatically you know alter the outcome of your hunt could be the difference between success or failure so perhaps you know if you had not changed your thinking and decided to be more aggressive that day and get right in there after it. And, you know, that's a big thing that other people that I respect a lot as deer hunters, you know, Bill Winkie comes to mind because he writes, obviously, for the magazine all the time as well, and he's a big believer in that, you know. Many times deer hunters are too timid when you get some unexpected photos of a big buck that just moved into your area, or you see something like what we saw that first day, guys are still afraid to get right into the middle of that bedding area or to get right into that hot zone and they think that they're going to spook deer or they don't want to take a risk because you know there's still a few weeks left in the season but you know you took a risk and got in there and then it paid off for us in a big way so maybe that's a little strategy
0: yeah yeah for sure a lot of a lot of um really even with my elk hunting um so well elk bedded muley like you said everything comes down to just making this decision of you know and i've one of my one of my favorite articles that i wrote for you was that one uh, be fast be still because there's times where you literally have to flip that switch um, you have to be fast and there's other times where you have to be still and our hunt was You know, because of that situation and how everything played out, we played it super safe, only touched the perimeter, um, used our stand as an observation the first night, got lucky enough to see what we needed to see. The next day, we had the right wind. Um, The preparation was there to get into a very invasive spot quietly, and we made it, you know, we pretty much made a plan to be there for the day. Um, got in there and made our, you know, luckily for us, we, we, you know, we struck, we made our, uh, filled our tag, but then, you know, if you fast forward to the next deer that I was part of that got shot was, you know, almost two full weeks later when I was with Mike Looper and literally that same strategy would not have worked. It got to the point where, um, some of those, some of that lockdown had happened and the, the bucks, um, we, you were starting to see more bucks crews, especially later in the morning. And we actually got out right in front of a big, um, storm system, which for you and I, we had great weather. So weather wasn't like a lot of times weather can help you make those moves too. Um, but there was a big storm coming and I told him, I said, things are either going to happen, you know early early in the morning or they're not going to happen so we literally got in the stand and as soon as we could see we were hitting horns and got aggressive and we ended up you know his buck came charging in to the horns um coming in really for a fight so you know it was there there was such different strategies played really in those three days of hunting or those three little instances that I talked about right there, and um, you know a lot of that, you're, you're always kind of rolling the dice. same's true with mule deer. Some people, sometimes you go out on a stalk and you get right in the right position. You know, I know that some people argue that you know you shouldn't really try to make them stand up and all that stuff. Um, some people just say you need to wait for it. I've had it work both ways. I've tried to force them to stand up, and it wrecks the thing. I've stood them up and got my shot. I've waited for them to stand up, and they end up smelling you because the wind starts swirling after too long. And then, you know, another time I've waited for them to stand up and just sat there and waited. They stood up perfectly, never knew I was there, turned perfectly broadside, chip shot. I mean, there's sometimes those those gambles you, you don't really know, but experience... And your gut feeling is really what you have to have. A lot of the times, following your gut to pull you through those situations. Well, what mm-hmm. what um, what's in the what's in the game plan for for Mr. Berg coming up here? Is there anything cool or our, our the listeners? Fall
1: hunting schedule. Yeah, or even the anything cool,
0: or even anything cool from Peterson's bow hunting that that our listeners need to know about.
1: Well, like you mentioned, you got to pick up the October issue uh, and get John Dudley's 2016 rut predictions because, you know, you mentioned that that went over really well last year. It It really did. I mean, we got a tremendous amount of feedback on that, and I can't tell you how many, like, different emails, you know, we got, like letters to the editor from guys either sending in saying, Like, I hunted those days that John said, and I had, like, my best hunt ever, and we had a couple guys send in for our tagged out with their bucks, you know, and they were like, I I hunted this day because John Dudley's article said it was going to be, like, good hunting, and I killed my best buck ever, and (laughs) they were all pumped up. So, I mean, it really, you know, whatever kind of voodoo that you do, keep on doing it, man, And, and read the cards and roll the dice and tell me what days i need to be out there because i'm going to follow it all right well, <laughs> so then. that's going to be in the october issue is dudley's 2016 deer season calendar and then yeah i mean I, i'm going to go out and try and put it to use i'm going out to colorado end of september for a for a diy elk hunt and then i'm going uh like two weeks after that i'm heading out to south dakota for a a whitetail hunt out there um when's that going to be which is an which is an awesome place by the way for all your listeners like if you like deer hunting and you've just never done a western deer hunt my goodness are there a lot of deer running around out there in south dakota i hunt up uh, like around newell south dakota which is about two an hour and a half or so like northwest of uh, rapid city not too far from the wyoming border it's it's incredible There is a a pile of deer up there. That's going to be like around the 8th of October or something, which you'd think is not the greatest time for deer hunting, and certainly here in Pennsylvania, like that early October can be like a really a lull kind of time, but they've got a lot of big alfalfa fields out there, and the evening hunting... Uh, in and around those alfalfa fields is pretty awesome the you know there's no rutting activity but you're just getting natural bed to feed pattern and uh it's nothing to see like 50 or more deer uh you know in a night so that's that's always a lot of fun
0: jesus thanks for the invite dude appreciate that yeah i know
1: i know Well, we're getting to that, though. So so that's going to be early October. Then last week of October, I hope you say, normally I go to Illinois every year the first week in November, except for last year when I came out to hunt with you at that time. And then this year I got invited... Uh, by the guys at Cabela's to go out, but for the last week of October. And I'm like, yeah, that's a little early from what I'd really like to be out there. It's like basically Halloween week leading up to Halloween. So hopefully you're saying that the moon phases are lining up good for me there because I'm going to be out in Illinois late October. So my I fav- don't know. I'm, I'm...
0: Possibly my favorite time for Illinois. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I love I love Halloween's my favorite day to hunt. One of my, I would say one of my, I shouldn't say that. Um, So Halloween is, is within my top, it's within my top four or five days to hunt. I love that week. It's, you have such a opportunity to kill a big buck during that week, dude. The first big bucks of the year are kind of out sniffing for the very first time. It's the most, it's a lot of times the first vulnerable day of the year for them.
1: Well, I'll tell you something. This is, I'm sure, going to be in your article. You've, you've had to be looking at it. You know, the 30th of October is a new moon.
0: Okay. The day before
1: Halloween is a new moon. So is that good for morning or afternoon activity?
0: So it's totally dark. Uh, yeah,
1: totally dark.
0: Yeah, that'll be better for... That'll be better for... It's actually be good for either one. But I'll I'll have to see when it's actually... When, Rise, when, when, the, when it's yeah, rising, when it's rising, and when it's coming down. But you know, what's funny is, um, like last year, I didn't hunt here, I didn't hunt in Iowa, I didn't hunt a single day until the first day of my moon phase prediction. Um, which I think was like the 20... I said that things were going to f- start heating up and that you'd have your first chance to see your first mature buck of the season. I thought I had said on the 26th or 27th. And mm. um, so I killed the biggest deer of my life. I killed the first day I was in a tree. And it was that week. It was literally um, a few days before before Halloween. So... yeah. I I love that week. And when I used to when I used to hunt um Illinois on my own cuz I used to go there a lot um by myself and I would always take that week prior um and I did it that way for a few reasons. One, um a lot of the major areas in Illinois, they're getting so hunted out um really a lot of especially bigger groups from the east coast they just and and also down south they really see these giant deer that get killed in the midwest so they i think naturally they just end up deciding to uh to hunt what they think is the best deer in the in the country during the first week in november and honestly i just really feel like the biggest deer come out right before the rut like that when those very first mature does come in or or Mm -hmm. even some of the does are even smelling like it the bucks want to come out they want to claim the areas put those first big scrapes down do a little bit of sniffing around and they literally come out they sniff every doe and it's almost like they spend one or two days making their rounds and kind of making their kind of claiming their area and smelling what's around and then they know they they almost know like okay well I've got 7 days left before she she's going to be coming in and then they're like gone and then all of a sudden the next time you see them is like when we did all of a sudden you'll see those several big deer that are all on that first big that first hot doe they're all going to be on her and it's going to be phenomenal until they start breaking up and getting into their individual groups, then it just starts to get really tough. So I love, I love that week that you're going to um, to Illinois. I think you'll, I think if you're if you're out there, you have just as good of a chance to shoot um, the biggest deer you've ever killed as as you do any other time of the year. Surprise, mm-hmm. surprisingly. So I'm I'm looking forward to see how you fare but i'm i'm making a making a positive prediction for you out there i would certainly i would have certainly gone if i was invited
1: and and then if i don't get one or even if i do right we're gonna maybe get back together in illinois right before ata in january because i want to get you out to to that other spot where i like to hunt with that with river bottom bucks my one of my favorite outfitters and favorite families in the world there in Eastern Illinois. So even if I film my tag, man, we would get the knock on crew over to, uh, to Illinois for a few days before the big show and do some late season hunting on all those good food plots that he has there. And hopefully, you know, if we get some snow and some cold weather out there and some standing beans is usually a good combination.
0: Yeah. Hey, I'd love to have someone actually be behind me with the camera for once. That'd be kind of fun.
1: I'll do that. This but only sub- if I get my buck in October. Otherwise I gotta hunt. Gee. You'll have to film yourself. Gee, You'll I have didn't... to film yourself, buddy. My generosity has its limits. And it's not <laughs> that the limit isn't really that far, so I see how you are on
0: November fifth when I'm dedicating my time to film you, but that's all right. We'll save that for another podcast. Well hey, thanks dude so much for coming on. I know that um all the listeners out there are freaking out that they got to hear Christian Berg's voice.
1: Yeah, I know. It's like uh, there was Joe Rogan and Cameron Haynes, and then, like, when they got over the excitement of that, then they really wanted to go for the big time and listen to the Christian Berg uh, episode. So, I appreciate you, you know, dropping me a few crumbs off the table. (laughs) You're welcome.
0: (laughs) I've seen you eat, and you definitely take more than a few crumbs.
1: (laughs) I need more than a few crumbs, but there's a good pizza place out there in Iowa. I don't remember the name of it, but. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, yeah. You should get a sponsorship. Don't mention their name get a sponsorship first and then you can start promoting their pies
0: yeah i'm playing hardball here okay well thanks a lot dude i appreciate it and uh thanks everybody for tuning in uh don't get too excited that we're doing multiple podcasts like in the same few days here that's not going to happen all the time it's just um i'm in the mood and i've got some free time so thanks everybody so much thanks christian and uh get out and shoot some everybody knock on Be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock-on lifestyle clothing. knockonarchery.com